This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chefs. Welcome back. It is officially season three for the Premier Chelsea. And guys, we kicked off with a win. But I know before this episode started streaming, you guys were having some little things to say, some faces to make. So Rahul, I'll get kicked off with you first. What were your thoughts about Everton, who we opened the season with? It was good to get a win, finally winning there after five years, six years. Uh, so definitely good to start off with the win, good to get that away game out of the way. Uh, but I can tell you, I'm just now waking up from that snooze fest because at certain <laughs> times from that game, it was a drag. It was just nothing was happening. We were just knocking the ball around. It really just felt like a preseason game, but it wasn't. Yeah, and look, that's similar to what Chelsea has been under Thomas Tuchel for most of last season as well, where we struggled to maybe create a lot of chances, maybe score goals. But Alex, I'll bring you in here. Was it a snooze fest for you? Did you see anything bright in that game overall? And then we'll kind of break it down after that. Yeah, I mean, certainly there were little bright spots we could take out. I mean, some players had pretty impressive performances. Um, Both of our veteran center backs, um, I guess Tiago Silva being a, at this point, you could call him a, a, our veteran and Koulibaly, who we know is a, a veteran but has only just arrived. Both of them looked like they slotted right in and showed their class the whole game. So that was a a bright spot for me. I thought it was good. We didn't concede a goal um, after obviously having some defensive worries during that Arsenal preseason thrashing. Um, So I, I, it was not a scintillating game of football that had me on the edge of my seat, but I, it is hard to argue with a clean sheet and a win. Let's break down the game a little bit more. Rahul, why don't you take us through the starting 11, and then we can discuss some of the key moments from the game. Yep, so the first 11 for the season, uh, Mendy in goal, Espelicueta fresh off of his new contract, Thiago Silva and Globali, as Alex mentioned. Uh, between the three of them, 100 years of, <laughs> of life experience, of, of football, soccer experience. Uh, and then ahead of them in the four was Reese James, Angolo Conte, Jorginho, and Ben Chilwell, who was back. Uh, from his ACL injury, a little surprising there, and like to hear your thoughts on on uh, you know him starting. And up front we had Mount, uh, Havertz, and Raheem Sterling, but they all kind of floated around and then interchanged. So it was a fluid front three, but those that was the eleven for this game. And if I'm not mistaken, Rahul, I think we predicted this lineup with the Houston Blues, and I think we got it pretty much spot on. And want to address Ben Chilwell. I think Thomas Tuchel came out and said that Alonso kind of turned in a request saying that things were progressing and maybe this is a good segue point to talk about Alonso for a quick minute but Alonso turns in his request saying he wants to move of course we know their links with Barcelona that fee is agreed about eight nine million pounds now and so I think it's almost done and so maybe Tuchel's hand was forced a little bit a little bit over there so Alex okay to see Ben Chilwell starting he's had a long lengthy injury he looked good in preseason but are you surprised to see him in the starting lineup no, I think, I mean, naturally, given how he ended off before he got that unfortunate injury, both he and Reese James had been tearing it up. Um, Reese obviously had a slightly less uh, severe injury and was able to come back and, and do some good stuff at the end of last season. But you would expect a player who we saw really top class performances from 
Um, you'd expect us to try to go and lean on him again and get him back into the groove. And, you know, it was not a game that I think stood out as like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this is the Ben Chilwell we we remember pre-injury. Right. But that's natural. It's going to take him some time, uh, most likely to get get fully up to speed. Um, but ultimately, I, I was not surprised to see him starting because he is theoretically, though, I mean, maybe we'll discuss it later, theoretically, our number one pick at that position regardless of Alonzo's availability. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the best way to put it is that he has to start when he's fully fit and available. But Cucurella's back in now, and so that might be interesting over the next few weeks. And we'll talk about him a little bit later in this segment. But Rahul, coming back to you, first half, I was at the pub with the Houston folks watching the game. Not a lot of cheering, not a lot of celebrating. So to echo your point, where we started was a little bit quiet, a little bit reserved. We maybe struggled to keep our foot on the ball and we have high expectations of maybe that Mount Sterling, Kai Havertz mix, hopefully that they were able to kind of control the game, if that's the right word. However, that wasn't the case. I think Everton gave us a good run for the money. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, Everton set up like you'd expect from a team that did have a center forward and they were going to play uh, defensive, which we knew they were going to, which they did last season at the end of the season against us. So they came with the back five with four in midfield and one up front, which really was uh, only the one that was when they were countering, they needed Mm -hmm. that one. So even that one person was falling back. So really it was just two lines of five defenders or five midfielders and defenders, uh, which we had to work our way around. And I think that added to a little bit of our difficulties. It's nothing new and everyone knows that we struggle against teams that sit low, sit deep, uh, don't allow us space and don't allow us, um, the opportunity to run in behind them. And that's really what happened. Lampard knew what he was doing. His his aim was to use Gordon's pace, use Damari mm-hmm. Gray, Dwight McNeil to kind of exploit maybe some of our older defenders, uh, who I must say did very well against some of those pacey guys. Absolutely. Uh, but no surprises from Everton, I think, uh, apart from the one mistake that they made, which cost them the goal, their plan worked pretty well. And, and in, in a different case, they would have probably walked away with the point. I have to agree with that. And we'll talk about that more towards the second half. I want to spend a few minutes about the first half and give a little praise to Ben Chilwell and Jorginho about the penalty. But before we jump into that, uh, injury happens in that game. And that first half was kind of strange because it goes on for 10 minutes additional time, which I don't think I've seen her first half go on for 10 minutes in a long, long time. Alex, barring that, I'll bring you in. Chilwell, we just talked about him, makes a good run, gets bundled over, wins the penalty. And of course, I think we have this question offline and we talked a little bit about it. If Raheem Sterling would now become the penalty taker or if Jorginho was going to step up and Jorginho steps up and scores a lovely penalty for us, like he always does. Any doubt in your mind that he was going to do that? No, I've got faith in Jorginho. And I know he had once or twice, he had his uh, traditional sort of hop penalty um, saved by a keeper. One of which was by Jordan Pickford for England. Um, and so I, as the announcer said, while he was stepping up to take it at that point, Jorginho was probably going to do away with his traditional technique because he knew that uh, Pickford sort of had his number there. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not worried. And I still like Jorginho taking the penalties. I think until, unless we get some center forward, I mean, we, we thought this maybe with say a Lukaku, but right. unless we get a big name center forward who really wants the goals, who wants to challenge for the golden boot, who wants the, uh, the, the confidence boost of scoring a penalty, for example, Erling Holland came right yep. in 
drew and scored his penalty for Manchester City. Um, you know, we don't really have that sort of marquee uh, striker. So I think for me, I'm happy to have Jorginho taking it because ultimately it's also about the pressure and the mindset. And even if, you know, he missed one or two with his old technique, he showed this time just casually slotting it away um, that he still obviously knows what it takes. And ultimately the most important thing about a penalty is you don't lose your cool. So I like that. And I was confident in him for sure. Yeah, look, and honestly, well put, I have not even put two and two together that maybe we, it takes a big number nine or a formal striker that wants to compete for the golden boot. For the most part, the guys that we have who are decent penalty takers, I must say, Mount, Sterling and others, they're not necessarily caring or wanting to win that that golden ball or golden boot, whatever you want to call it. So that's a valid point and a valid argument there. And Jorginho has been pretty reliable for the last few seasons and whatnot. So Rahul, we go in one nail in that first half, albeit 10 minutes into additional time in that first half. What do you think Tuchel's thinking? Do you think he was going to change things up? Do you think he was happy with the performance? Uh, what What is his general thinking at that point in time? I, without the goal, I think he was okay with the performance. Like I said, it wasn't, wasn't the best performance. It wasn't, uh, something that he would have been very satisfied by. Of course, now it's the first game. You've got to take a, a lot of things into account. Uh, the injury, like you mentioned, just a quick second for Ben Godfrey, wishing him the best. I think it was a lower leg injury that might keep him out for a few months, so wishing him a speedy recovery. But uh, for Tuchel, I think the first half, the goal really comes at the right time because, as we say, a goal at the end of a half changes the team talk. And I think that impacted the way we came out in the second half, which was, Maybe a little bit influenced by our ability to, I mean, our fitness, but also I think our ability to shut down the crowd and keep them a little down and keep them not on Everton's backs or our backs to to speed up the game. And you could see that we, at every opportunity, we tried to slow it down. We were just knocking it around. We didn't really have the intent to score the second until maybe Everton came out and said, we really want to get the equalizer. We, of course, tried, and I think Cucurella, when he came on, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, brought a little more intensity and speed into our play, which was yeah. lacking for pretty much that whole second half and the first half. Um, but having said that, I think at the end of the first half, pretty satisfied going in at 1-0. Of course, you think you come back and you can kill the game, which we never really do. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, it works out, and, and Mendy pulls off a great save in the second half to keep us in it, along with Thiago Silva and Koulibaly doing doing their piece. And I must say Koulibaly, and I said in the last episode when we, the three of us recorded, I don't think you could upgrade on Rudiger. Yeah. But Koulibaly is certainly that upgrade. And I know I'm getting a little carried away after one game, but he was very, very good. Yeah. I'm going to hold back the energy of excitement, but I do have to agree with you. I think he looked aggressive. Maybe is the word that we're looking for. Cause with our center backs and which are with our defense, we sometimes miss that aggression And that doesn't mean he was out there like throwing punches and screaming at people, but it was just the way he put a foot in, the way he went for a tackle, which was exciting to look at. But you brought up Mendy, and I want to talk about Mendy. Alex, a lot of people were talking about Mendy towards the end of last season. Maybe he was looking a little bit shaky. Maybe there were some issues. But I must say, Everton did have a few good chances. And every time they came up, Mendy was up to it. I mean, he was alert. He was sharp. He was clearing the ball, whatever he needed to. Do you think we're going to see the Mendy that we're used to seeing, the one that won us the Champions League or helped us win the Champions League? Yeah, I think 
I think his class is undeniable. We've seen him go from a player that most of us had to Google when he transferred to Chelsea to, at this point, a household name, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He is, even among the Chelsea haters, I think, recognized grudgingly to be pretty much world-class by almost anyone's standards in just what he's accomplished so far. Um, and I mean, I, I understand the shaky, the shaky argument. He definitely did have a, a little period where he wasn't looking quite as solid, but I think ultimately if you get too carried away with the goalkeeper narrative and the goalkeeper worries, you, you maybe lose sight of some of the real issues with our squad, not even always issues, just ultimately I think, Mendy is a very good keeper. We know he's good. We've seen him play well. Um, and I think it's almost similar to how Kepa had a little shaky period and everyone wrote him off. And then it turns out like he was actually very good for us coming in. I think especially with Mendy, who we saw really carry us to that Champions League win with some amazing, amazing saves. Yeah, We need to think, you know what, even if sometimes we're saying, oh, maybe Mendy could have made that save or, oh, for the for the first game in a few weeks, he, he makes some little error. At a certain point, you have to say, how many times is an upgrade on the goalkeeper or a different goalkeeper actually going to make a difference here? I mean, if he'd conceded one goal and hadn't made one of those great saves, I would say the fault was on our outfield players for not being urgent enough and trying to get that second goal. So I don't know. I, I like Mendy, and I think I'm not going to pretend that – He's always got my my total confidence, especially on things like, oh, maybe he could be better at penalty saves. Um, maybe he's not great with his feet all the time and scares me now and then. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think if the margin is fine enough for one little Mendy slip up here and there to cost us a game, we need to be looking and saying, why aren't we why are we always just one goal ahead of the opposition? Why can't we kill a game to the point that we can take a mistake here and there? Yeah, I think that's a good argument, and I want to jump into it. But right before I do that, I think Mendy's agents also realize Mendy is now the cream of the cop as far as goalkeepers go. He's actually in negotiations right now for better financial terms, which I hope that we give him something to stay because he's he's absolutely a, a keeper we want to have for a few years. But Rahul, I saw you smiling, so I'll bring you in there. Anything to add on the Mendy situation or maybe you want to convert the conversation into why we can't score more than one goal? Yeah, no, I, I was just smiling because... Uh... Alex said the question comes back to why can't we score more than one goal? And that's that's the million dollar question, Alex, or in Lukaku's case, the hundred million dollar question. <laughs> um, and I think that that's something that we've got to talk about. And um, it's an issue that has pertained. Let's just stick to the Tuchel side, right? Since he's come in now, almost two years in January, and. We don't score enough. There's an odd game where we'll end up with four, but it's usually one, two, maybe three. Uh, and the question is, why can't we do that? And I think it comes down to, we've seen Lukaku fail, Timo Werner, who's about to leave, fail. And it's, what do those two bring to the team? Of course, Lukaku brings a physicality, but but they have the pace. They have the ability to run in behind. I looked at Kevin De Bruyne this weekend. He played a beautiful ball in for Holland. And I'm thinking, this is what Lukaku was asking us to do last season, just playing the ball behind and, and let me let me do what I do best, which is run in behind and score. Timo Werner, I looked at the goal he scored in Madrid earlier today. What did he do? He ran in behind. He We played him in behind their defense and he scored. We don't do that enough with this squad. When we have the chance, we go white. Let's go to James. Let's go to Chilwell. Let's go back to Koulibaly. It's Asfilicueta. And it, it frustrates me because it's sometimes... 
we can just play it first time and let the attacker do his thing or or maybe win a penalty like in Chilwell's case. I don't know if it's too cool. I don't know if it's the players holding back. It just doesn't click and it doesn't feel right when we have the likes of Kai Havertz, Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount. Yes, Sterling stood out most out of the three, but the the system, the formation, the I, I don't know, the instructions just don't favor attacking. And I think that's going to continue to happen until we change that a little bit. We, we can bring in Aubameyang, we can bring in Ronaldo. Yes, we may end up with 10, 15 more goals, but there will be games where we don't use the tactic of playing our, our guys faster. And that's going to hurt us, not just now, but the rest of the season. Yeah, Alex, why don't you jump in here? Because Rahul's brought up Aubameyang, he's brought up Ronaldo. Do you think they struggle with Thomas Tuchel's tactics? Uh, it's an interesting question because obviously we know Thomas Tuchel is very tactically adept. We know he's smart. We know he researches these games. I have complete trust in him as a manager, but I totally see what Rahul is saying in that when these strikers are coming in and just consistently failing to score, I saw apparently Tuchel uh, saying that now even the players don't really want the number nine because they've accepted at this point that, you know, the number nine curse, maybe it's, it's a real thing. I, I, I struggle to, to pinpoint the exact cause because I think we have good players and we've had a lot of good players come into those, that, that striking position and just not click. And I see, I see what Rahul was saying with the Kevin De Bruyne playing a beautiful ball in behind for Holland finished clinically. I mean, that was perfect. That was textbook at the same time. I think that was an example um, where I saw it coming in West Ham, pushing forward, giving city that space in behind. And that's why I think Chelsea just need a striker who can be physical and bully players and work in tight spaces. I think it's ultimately about the profile of player we bring in. And that's why I was so hopeful about Lukaku because he has that physicality. And we saw before he had that interview and the downturn in form and the controversy, um, there were a couple of times he was just absolutely bullying defenders in close quarters um, against Arsenal, to name one. Um, and when you think back to our last real successful striker at Chelsea, Diego Costa, what did he have? He had some pace. You could play a ball over the top to him, but even the, the, the example I think of, of him getting that ball over the top in that famous 3-1 comeback win against Man City, it was his strength that allowed him to hold off. I think it was Otamendi and slot the ball home. I think Chelsea need a physical, powerful striker. I'm disappointed that Lukaku didn't work out. I think we need to look for a similarly profiled player um, because I think Lukaku not working out was a ton of factors. I don't think it was necessarily his skill set. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. May, I'm not Thomas Ducal. This is why he gets paid. And I sit here and, and shout about it on a podcast. But I want to see us. That's where I think Cristiano Ronaldo you know, you can, I'll hold my hands up and say, I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I think if we bring him in, I think he would bag goals because he has the ability to just pick a goal out and be physical and, and get something done. Timo Werner. I love the guy, but as we've said on prior episodes, that's just not the kind of play you're going to get in the prem. You're not going to get it under Tuchel. The fast runs into space aren't working. So I think we need physicality if we're going to break down these low blocks. Yeah. And I, and I want to move on, but one more thing I'll add about, you know, two of our most successful strikers in recent history, Didier Drogba and uh, Costa, is both of them had one thing that maybe, maybe is a factor. They didn't let anything shake their confidence. 
And I think if you look back at some of our number nines, most recently Timo Werner, you miss a couple goals, his head goes down. You saw Morata miss a couple goals, his head goes down. Had many number nines, Torres struggled, confidence goes out the door, losability. And so somebody, again, I hate to compare it to Erling, Erling Haaland, but he had a horrible miss in the community shield or whatever it's called these days. And he just has that confidence and self-belief that that's not going to put his head down, not going to knock him down. And he comes back and performs the next game. So something to think about with the profile and the attitude and the mentality of the type of player we bring in. And to Alex, to your point, Lukaku had some of those things, but maybe his mind was elsewhere ultimately. And that's what caused a lot of these issues. But let's come back to the game, guys. Let's talk about some of the substitutions. This year, we're doing five subs, which is, in my opinion, exciting. Rahul, we covered that with Ben on Friday, which will help manage the team's energy. It's the reason why Tuchel's looking for more players. Why don't you run through some of the subs just generically and you know maybe give us a high-level synopsis of how they performed. Yeah, so I think he did uh, the first two were Loftus-Cheek and um, I'm forgetting the, the Pulisic. other one. Pulisic, yep. yep. Uh, and I think those were good subs. And after the end of the game, you, you think back to the subs and you're like, Chelsea have a lot of quality and and to call on the likes of Pulisic off the bench and uh, Loftus-Cheek to come and play right wing back so that uh, Reese James could go to the left because we brought Chowell off, who of course wasn't going to last the 90 minutes. Uh, I think Loftus-Cheek has to be ready to feature in that role a lot more because that central midfield positions were pretty well uh, stacked in terms of players. And if Frankie Dion comes in, that's just another player that can play there. Uh, it was interesting to see that Reese James went from right wing back to left wing back to right center back because in the second set of um, substitutions, I think Cucurella came on along with um, Broya. And so Cucurella comes in, goes left wing back, Reese James goes to the right, SP comes to the left. So I think that comes back again to the issue of we need a center back. Uh, Kulabali, how good he was, did pull up with the cramp. And of course, that's going to happen. It's the intensity. It's the Premier League. Um, but I think Kukurella was one that we all wanted to see. And, and that he showed us why. He was fast. He was quick with his passing. He almost set Sterling up for a goal. Mm-hmm. And we do need to talk about Sterling because we haven't even touched on, on the attackers. But um, I'm excited to see him. And I think when you look between him and Ben Chowell, Cucurella is definitely ready to start games and and come in as the uh, as the first choice for now while Chilwell builds his fitness and uh, you know competitiveness up. And then the last sub was Connor Gallagher right at the end. Um, excited for him, makes his Chelsea debut, and I'm looking forward to seeing him a lot more. I'm kind of happy that Tuchel brought him on just to give him that the few minutes. But uh, I think between Cucurella and Connor Gallagher and Pulisic, Pulisic looked good too. Let, let, let's not get that wrong. Um, so we have a lot of quality, even though with the departures that we mentioned of Alonso and Timo, uh, Ziyech didn't get a game, Kovacic didn't get a game. Uh, and so it's going to be it's going to be a good season with the five subs and these guys can come in and make an impression. And the last one, Broya, which we haven't really spoken about. I texted you this within 30 seconds of his arrival. He's done more than Kai Havertz did in the whole 70, 75 minutes. So let's. If Tuchel doesn't want Ronaldo and Aubameyang, just just trust Broya because we've spoken about a lot of big names here in the last few minutes. Broya is one that isn't a big name, but could become one through Chelsea. And how satisfying would that be? 
Absolutely. And I think that there might be an inkling he's going to stay, given the fact that we haven't sent him on loan and have blocked the sale to West Ham. So hopefully that happens. But before I pass it over to Alex, the five subs, Rahul, I know you mentioned we need a center back. But one thing I noticed and I appreciate is the versatility of the team. The fact that some of the guys who are designed for midfield are playing right wing back. The fact that you can have Cucurella play left center back, left wing back. Aspilicueta, thank you for signing your two-year contract. You can play anywhere across the back. And Reese James... I think you guys love that man so much. He's playing everywhere across the back now as well. So, But Alex, before we talk about the strike, I want to talk a little bit about Christian Pulisic. We here at the Premier Chels love Christian Pulisic, and he deserves more minutes. But there is a lot of competition, as Raul has alluded to. But with five subs now, this might be a pivotal time in Christian Pulisic's career for Chelsea because I feel like he is the kind of guy that will get a lot more minutes whether it's at right wing back or left wing back, which we don't necessarily appreciate, but it's an opportunity nonetheless. Or to come in and substitute in one of the front three and actually get more and more game time at Chelsea and maybe earn his way into a starting 11 more, as he said in his recent interviews over the summer. So what are your thoughts on that for Christian Pulisic? I, so I definitely, I agree. I think it could be a big season for him. I'm excited because I think he's looked sharp. He's looked fast. Yes. He's looked hungry. Um, I think it's also good that we're building up towards this winter World Cup because I think he's not necessarily moaning about every lack of game time even though he normally doesn't come out and and complain too much he tries to keep a professional he internally i think will be happy not having necessarily a crazy crazy game load leading up into a world cup after the u.s had missed the past one so he's going to be itching to be fit be sharp get some goals play but he's i think in a really good position where with the five subs with the world cup coming up where he's going to be captaining or at the very least leading the u.s into this this big tournament i think he's at a really pivotal moment uh pivotal moment so i totally agree with you jackie and i think ultimately especially with timo werner now leaving i will say i uh, apparently i saw stories saying that there was a bit of a disagreement and 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 werner was saying oh well i haven't necessarily got as much time as i could i don't know if there's any any substance to those (laughs) i think werner got a lot of minutes he did frankly um given the lack of output from him. And I know it's not all about goals. He definitely made our attack more dangerous in some ways while he was on the pitch. But I think Werner got his fair run, and I think it's best for both the club and the player that he's gone. I think right now has to be a time that we turn to Pulisic and say, look, he's our number 10. We know what he can do. We've seen him at his peak. And let's give him a bit of game time and see if we can get him back to or close to that peak because we know he's talented. We know he has the dribbling and sort of trickiness in him to break down these defenses, these low defenses that we run into. You're not always going to be able to just run in behind against these teams. So I really want to see more of him. And ultimately I sort of stick by what I, what I said before, I think a physical striker would be nice, but regardless, we want tricky fast wingers and he's a tricky fast winger. So for me, Polisic and Sterling would be a dream team to start together, especially on either side of maybe it's uh, Broya, but um, especially on either side of a striker who's powerful and uh, they can sort of feed off. So we'll see. But I agree. I'm excited to see how this season unfolds for him. As am I. I want to I want to see him chipping with more goals. He's done good to get. 11, 10 goals per season. So it'll be good to see him maybe up that tally and get a couple more assists. But Rahul, he mentioned Sterling here, and I know you're itching to talk about Raheem Sterling. 
Maybe he was our most exciting talent of the day. Maybe he was the guy who was the most hungry on the day. I'll let you share some feelings, some reaction. How do you think our our biggest signing, our marquee signing of the summer is doing so far? Watching him play for us, I'm I'm asking myself, how did City let him go, right? <laughs> Without watching City the, the, the next day. Uh, because he brings, like Alex is saying with Pulisic, the ability to dribble, to do something unpredictable. That's what Sterling brings to this team. I, I remember at one point he was facing our goal and he quickly drops a shoulder and turns around and beats the man and is now uh, heading on to Pickford's goal. And we sometimes lack that with, I'm not going to name our players, but we lack that just overall from the attack. Sure. Uh, and, and at one point he carried the team on his back and he carried Yerry Mina and Everton too on his back <laughs> uh, because he was just getting involved and, and trying to make things happen. He really deserved a goal in this game, and I think it will come. Uh, but you can see why we brought him, and you can see what he's going to bring to this team. And it's not just, oh, he's Raheem Sterling, and he's England international, and he's uh, a, a Premier League winner with Man City. He really works hard on the on the field. And um, I think it's going to be good to see him, like Alex was saying, with maybe another winger who can be that kind of unpredictable in Pulisic. And then if he develops a relationship with, Broya or Kai Havertz or whoever comes in, that would only help uh, the the squad and the attack because we suddenly have players that can do something out of nothing versus maybe a Timo Werner or Ziyech. We know he likes to come into onto his uh, left foot. So Sterling's going to be great. I, I was very excited to see him and I want to see more of him. Uh, hopefully he doesn't pick up a knock or anything because he tends to do that. Uh, but again, that'll be on to Tuchel to manage and have the squad uh, come in when we need to to help our attackers uh, stay fit. So exciting times. And you can see from the players that have come in so far in the Boli under Tuchel, those are the type of players that Tuchel wants for now. And Boli supporting it. If Frankie de Jong is to come in, I'll support it, even though I don't think we need him. Uh, but looking good and, and hopefully it continues. Yeah. And that's all as Chelsea fans, we want is to see a little more results ultimately, and maybe control the game a little bit more. And so ultimately the game ends one nil. And I think the biggest thing Tuchel said is a win is a win. It's early days in the premier league. We're still not a hundred percent fit, whatever that means, but we're working towards what needs to happen. But Rahul, I'll stick with you. Do you want to talk about some of the other games in the premier league? Because some of our rivals, dare I say, are looking extremely sharp for early days. Yeah, just before we move on from, from our game, what did you guys make of Tuchel? There's a couple of times he did the, are you sleeping? I think he even sent it to Mason Mount. He, Yes, he came out inside a win is a win and, and, you know, it's early days or whatever, but he wasn't really happy on the touchline. And we get the three points and hopefully that held him back a little bit in the locker room, but he must have been honest and, and told him what it was, was it's not good enough for Chelsea to be just stumbling acro- across the line against Everton who didn't have a striker. So Jackie, your thoughts on Tuchel and then I'll go to Alex. I like to see that kind of stuff. I really think that we see the pretty side of Thomas Tuchel where he's jolly and friendly with the players and the new age of manager where they're friends. But I like to see sometimes the old school of manager that lets them know I'm not happy realistically like we've trained hard we had a huge blip against arsenal 4-0 yes it was preseason, but we worked hard in udinese in a closed door game to build that fitness 
ultimately, guys, I think even if we won one nail, Tuchel wouldn't care. It's the performance on the pitch where we were slow, lacked enthusiasm. Of course, there are a few key names, Raul. You threw off Sterling. You've thrown off a couple of guys like Cucurella coming on. Uh, notably, Koulibaly as well, working hard. But it's the the main guys that have been there now. Mason Mount, who last year, every game, the three of us were here singing his praises. We did not mention his name once this time around. And so that's that's good to see that Tuchel's calling them out and say, wake up. I think that's definitely, it, we need to see more of that and expect more from these guys. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And the other one, Alex, Kai Havertz, this season is very important for him. And your thoughts on Tuchel first and then Kai. If Kai doesn't make it this time around in terms of impacting games and, and doing what we bought him for, might be a conversation for next summer. But what did you make of Tuchel? He's been saying... We came back late. We're not fit enough yet. It's going to take us some time. Question I have in return is, well, why did we come back late? Why didn't we come back a week earlier? Uh, What have you made of those comments? And is there something behind the scenes that we're not picking up on in terms of Tuchel not being happy with everything that's going on and the distractions? I think ultimately it's good. I agree with Jackie that it's, it's good that he's not just sort of sugarcoating everything. Um, I think he's doing the right thing. He's always handled the media perfectly. I mean, that's one thing. He's always been extremely, extremely eloquent in his uh, interviews. So he knows not to stir the pot or add fuel to the fire for any any dumb headlines. But aside from that sort of PR uh, tactic, I do think clearly he knows there's work to be done. But I think that's good because this we know this is a big sort of transition season. We've been discussing, as you said, Kai Havertz, it's a big season for him. Polisic, it's a big season for him. Sterling and all these new signings, Cucurella coming in, who Tuchel's going to have to figure out if they gel, if they're working hard, who they play best with. And I like that. I like that he's not sort of uh, complacent. I think it's good that he knows what he wants from his squad and he's not happy unless he gets it because that means he's going to continue to test things out and try to make progress with this side and say, you know what, if, if Mason Mount isn't putting in the effort or the, the lessons that we gave him during the week, he's not undroppable. I'd love to see that. And I love Mason Mount. I hope he comes right back and starts uh, tearing up the pitches as, as we know he can do, but I would love to see those types of players who maybe I won't say had a false sense of security, but are used to being called upon Um, pretty consistently, I'd love to see, especially with these five subs, Tuchel saying, look, you need to go out there, you need to show fight, and you need to, at the very least, be working your butt off to get up and down the pitch. Um, Even if you're not impacting the game super directly with goals and assists, you need to be at least trying something. So I'm happy about that. And I think it's a good sign that he's keeping our standards as a club where we want them to be, which is high. Yeah, and they have to stay high because we've said the others around us and below us that finished last season have strengthened. And let's move on to uh, the other game. So Arsenal is one of those teams that strengthened pretty well. Jesus, Zinchenko, uh, among some of their other transfers that came in. And they went 2-0 away to our uh, Crystal Palace. A good win for them to start off the season and start off the Premier League season, in fact, for everyone. Uh, Jackie, what have you made? Uh, I'm not sure if you got to watch the game because we were recording with Ben, but um, they've looked pretty good for the first 20, 25 minutes. Yes, Crystal Palace came back in, but usually what we say about Arsenal is they crumbled under pressure and they didn't this time. They held on and they eventually got the second and got the three points. And one thing we've not even talked about with Arsenal is that they've had back-to-back summers where they've spent 
100 plus 150 million each summer. So they have been rebuilding. They have been supporting Mikel Arteta, which Rahul, I think going back to when we started this podcast, I said support him because if you invest yeah. correctly, this could could end up being good. And they've got the right players in the right positions and they've got a good mix of young quality players that could help them. And so while I'm not terrified of Arsenal, they are a team to watch this season. I think they're going to play some attractive football. I think they're going to have a better season than they did last season, which only echoes the points you guys are making is Chelsea have to step up another gear to keep these guys off of those Champions League spots. But no, 2-0, they move forward. And Crystal Palace, by the way, is a good team. And so opening day, London London Derby to push through, it's, it's a good result for them. Yeah, it definitely is. Alex, I know you usually like to banter Arsenal, but... Uh... What what did you make of this? They had a great preseason. They brought that form into this game. They could get over the line, win 2-0, start the season off much better than they did last season and something for them to build upon going into the rest of the season here. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo what Jackie said in that I'm, I'm not scared of Arsenal. I don't think they're yet at a level where we need to worry about, oh, there's, there's more than one team in London. No, that's... We're, we're still running stuff, but I think... <laughs> you do have to give them credit. They've rebuilt nicely. They showed faith in Arteta through a very difficult period where he could easily have been sacked. And many Arsenal fans were, were crying for him to be sacked, but I think they did the right thing and said, you know, nothing good comes easy. We need to trust and and try a serious actual rebuild. And they rebuilt in the right way versus maybe you look at say a Manchester United who since their, their legendary manager's departure have really struggled to find a, a good sustainable lasting rebuild um so i think i think arsenal have done very well but quite frankly to me arsenal are not competing on the same level that chelsea's competing i mean both physically in terms of the competitions they're in and such but just just as a matter of uh you know i don't i don't think arsenal are going to be threatening our throne uh, as the kings of london anytime soon yeah, no, not not the throne, but definitely maybe that third spot in the table. And and once we run through the results, I'd like to get your predictions for the season. Uh, but let's move on from one side to the other side of North London. And Spurs, we've seen the players they've brought in. We've seen what Conte has done with them uh, towards the end of last season. They do go a goal down to Southampton early, but they storm back. And, and that's the fear or that's what they bring to the table is they've got attackers and they've got players that, can score and change the game in a second. And even though Son and Kane don't score, Sessegnon steps up, Eric Dyer steps up, and there's two goals from defenders that put him 2-1 up. And then they get an own goal that obviously was influenced by their attack. And then Kulusevsky is, is a player that up until last January, not a lot of people were talking about. And all of a sudden, he's now one of the leading wingers in the in the Premier League, and he's one that is most likely going to end up staying at Spurs. He's on loan right now. Jackie, 4-1 to start off the day. They sit top of the table. They've kicked off with the right intentions. Could this be the season Harry Kane wins a trophy with them? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a little tough. However, they will be closer than ever for a long, long time. Because I'll tell you what, Antonio Conte's teams notoriously always have a good strong striker, which they've always had in Harry Kane and Son beside him is is crazy. But what Tottenham have missed is chipping in goals from other parts of the pitch. And so the fact that you've already said that their left wing back and, and one of their center backs is scoring a goal, Conte is doing, because I remember when we would win the Premier League against him, 
Victor Moses, Marcus Alonso were pivotal in chipping in with goals. And then from our center backs, Gary Cahill was there five, six, seven goals a season. And so if he's getting that, it takes that pressure off from Son and Kane. Definitely one to watch, but we'll talk about Manchester City and Liverpool a little bit later, but definitely one to watch. I think Conte is, again, strengthening the right right areas. And I want to talk about their signings when we get to the Spurs preview. Yes, because we, we do face them in our next game. And Alex, I'll get to your thoughts on them uh, when we do that preview. But let's move on to a team that Jackie just mentioned, which is Liverpool, Alex. They started off a way to Fulham. On paper, you'd expect Liverpool to win this pretty easily, but they draw 2-2 and actually went down twice and had to come back and, and fight back for their uh, point. So was that a surprise for you? Was that the surprise of the weekend before the Manchester United result that we'll touch on? Uh, and is there cracks appearing? I mean, we've known Trent is a little suspect on in, in the defensive side, but Van Dijk made an error and gave away a penalty. Thiago's out for a few weeks now. Mane is left. They're, they're trying to figure things out. Or was this just a new team full of energy, full of new ideas, wanting to make an impression and they get a draw? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's Liverpool are going to be hitting the panic button here. I mean, we know how quality they are. We know what they've done over the past several seasons, pushing Man City right to the edge and in one occasion grabbing the title. Um, so, no, you, you can't write them off. Every team has unlucky results. Every team, every big six team falters now and then. But I do think, I do think the cracks, maybe I wouldn't even call them cracks. I think it's shown that they're, they're no invincibles. I mean, they're, they're scary. They know how to play well. And Klopp is an excellent manager. He's got some quality players. But for all their, for all their quality, these are not, I mean, you mentioned, I think Trent showed once again why he's the second best English right back in the world. <laughs> I, I, I heard a pundit saying, oh, you know, it's ridiculous to criticize Trent for that. Mitrovic is just so good at headers. And I'm like, OK, I know he's good, but Trent didn't even leave the ground. If anything, he ducked. <laughs> and, and it was just it's shown what we've what I at least personally have felt for a while is that Liverpool are a very good team. But I almost think they are overperforming for the quality they have and the longevity and the depth they have. I think they're a very good team who are overperforming rather than Chelsea, I would say, are a very good team who are underperforming. So that's that's not that's why I'm not too, I don't know. I mean, I, I still think you have to be sensible and say probably Liverpool will edge it over us this season and finish above us as, I mean, past seasons show. But I think our squad on paper can go toe-to-toe with theirs easily. And I think it's a matter of, can we get our mindset up and do they let their mindset falter at all with some of this, uh, some of the departures and arrivals around their club? Yeah. And we did go toe to toe with them four times last season and ended up losing on penalties twice. So uh, we, we can compete against them. It's really down to, do we take our chances? And that's a whole different topic, but Jackie, from the Fulham perspective coming up again, went down two seasons ago, come back again this season, Marco Silva guiding them in the right direction with the draw. Do you think they stay up? I think we were predicting them to go down in the last episode. Yeah, it's it's honestly early days, Rahul. I think it's tough. There's always a surprise team that comes in from the championship. And I, I don't know if that's going to be Fulham. I don't know if it's going to be Nottingham Forest because they've signed a lot of players. It's very tough to predict, but on paper and in theory, they should be going back down because of what's going on. But 
yeah, very, very tough to predict. However, that being said, I think great performance that's only going to do them a world of good to get a draw against one of the best teams in England. And that can be something to kickstart their run. Cause we know it's just, you need to have a good early run in the premier league, get to that magic 40 ish points. And then from there it's smooth sailing, whatever happens after that, you're not worried about it, but that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Fulham have given the rest of the premier league a way to halt Liverpool a little bit, which is just dry up your pitch according to Jurgen Klopp. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to just a couple of the other results, and then there's leads that I want to talk about. Bournemouth beat Villa 2-0, which was a surprise. I I don't think a lot of people were predicting that, but a great start for Bournemouth. Steven Gerrard, I think, has picked up the same number of points Frank Lampard has at Everton, and I think he came in about a month or two earlier than Frank. So they face off this weekend, and uh, that battle may be decided there. Nottingham Forest, the other team that came up, lost 2-0 to Newcastle, and if you haven't seen this, guys, the Fabian Scher goal, Newcastle's first goal, go watch it. It was quite the rocket from outside the box. And then Callum Wilson's finish for the second one was equally good. Strikers finished. Maybe he's one that we should be looking at. Uh, but let's talk about Leeds. Leeds are quickly becoming America's second team uh, or first team in, 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 in the case of if you support them. They beat Wolves 2-1 at home and uh, – there was an own goal from Elk Nuri, but I think it was really down to Anderson from uh, Leeds, the American, who says he got a touch on it. It's his goal. Uh, Alex, we've now seen an influx of American players in, into the Premier League. Pulisic obviously is at Chelsea, but Leeds have brought in quite a few. Tyler Adams, Anderson, uh, maybe forgetting a couple more. And Jesse Marsh, of course, is their, is their American coach, manager. Are you going to be watching out for the results? Are you going to be keeping an eye on them in terms of how they're doing, because some of these guys may end up playing for the uh, U.S. men's national team at the World Cup. Yeah, totally. I think I'm definitely interested. I mean, as you mentioned, Tyler Adams is, we know he's a good leader. He's a very solid midfielder. He's been developing nicely, and I think this is a great step for his development. Um, And Brendan Aronson is is really a promising talent. A lot of people are putting him... uh, up near the same pedestal as Polisic already, just for the, his age and what he's already shown uh, so far. His work rate is very impressive. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be interested. And I think ultimately, though, it's just the fact that it feels kind of crazy having so many Americans in the Premier League. I mean, we've been used to having one or two at, say, Fulham. Um, but this, I think, really does show the shift that's slowly starting to happen with U.S. soccer. And we're, we're finally realizing that, hey, if we actually focus on this sport as a nation and develop more players and open up more academies and grow the game domestically with the MLS and expand the league, I mean, we're starting to really produce some top talent that's getting noticed by big clubs. And I think this is just the start in terms of how many Americans we're going to see in, in top five European leagues over the next few years and maybe decades. So I'm excited for sure, and I'll be I'll be looking out to see how they perform um, because I think it's a great sign for the growth of the game in the U.S. that we're finally getting starting to spread our top talents around, and it's not just not just one star boy here and there. This is a number of serious serious players at serious clubs. Yeah, absolutely, and that should impact how they perform for the U.S. men's national team because. Uh, have a little more European experience, have an experience of playing against different players, different managers, different systems. Jackie, do you think that helps the U.S. going into the World Cup this winter? Oh, 100%. And to echo what Alex said, you've got 
boys that are playing in top leagues around the world, not just the Premier League. I mean, Weston McKinney is in Italy. You've got Gio Reyna in Germany. And there, there are many more young men, which is the other key factor, young men, because they haven't reached their full potential yet, right? We have our own very Christian Pulisic at 23 years old. Like I said, he's getting to 10 goals a season in the Premier League. Like, that's not an easy feat. We like to complain. We like to say he can do more. But it, it'd be years ago we'd sign a winger, Rahul, and we'd say, yeah, 10 goals a season for a winger is awesome. Now it's expected, right? So there's a lot to come for the American side. It's very, very exciting. And Jesse Marsh, I hope that he can continue to lead this team forward because it's good to see. I think he was one that said American coaches moving away from players get a lot of stick for not understanding the game. So if he can do something with them, great. Although it is Leeds, so it's kind of up and down over here. <laughs> yeah, and Matt Turner was on the bench for Arsenal. So that's another player from from the U.S. in the Premier League. So, yeah, we'll definitely be watching them, and we play them, actually, in a couple of weeks. So we'll be watching them a little too closely. But let's move on to the last three games. Leicester drew 2-2 with Brentford after being 2-0 up. Jackie, you have some scouting that you did on Fofana in this game? Yeah, I wasn't sure that the 75-80 million number being called for Fofana is necessary justifying his performance, just like Alex said about Trent Alexander-Arnold not jumping or not going for the ball. I saw something similar, but I think we knew that, guys. I think we knew that Fofana, the age of 21, is not the finished product. I think we knew that he has a lot of potential, and so he needs grooming, and so we're paying for that potential, at least to the discussions we had with Ben. And so my thing as a Chelsea fan is, sure, there's a lot of potential there, but can 80 million be spent elsewhere? Can we get two players? Can we get one young player and one seasoned player? That's just the concern, but ultimately... Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel know what they're doing. They know what they want to spend the money on. It's just, as a fan, you want to make sure that Chelsea are not wasting money like we have in previous transfer windows and lost out to that. But other than that, I think disappointing for Leicester City. I thought they had a good run over here, and I thought Madison looked sharp, even though he's linked with Newcastle. But you've got to give credit to to Brentford and Ivan Tony, who was one that started off last season very well, starting off well again. Yeah, and a great result for Brentford, who we've seen in the second season, a lot of teams that have come up struggle and they get a good result away from home. Alex, I'll bring you in before we go to Manchester United. Man City, 2-0 against West Ham. Routine win, three points on the board. But I want to talk about Holland, and I think everyone wants to talk about Holland. But here's a player that was linked with us last summer. We tried our best. We offered 70, 80, 90 million. Just didn't work out. City ended up getting him for 50 which based on yesterday's performance and actually even the performance in preseason, the community shield seems like an absolute steal for someone that's going to be not even in his peak for the next four or five years. Yeah. I think the, 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 the one thing I think city will, will have to, or city fans maybe will have to deal with is the fact that he, I think is so good and has shown that he probably will continue to be so good that he may not actually stay at City for too many years, at least we can hope as rival fans, because he looks absolutely dangerous. So he is one player who I would be happy to ship off to his dream Real Madrid transfer wherever he wants, because he, I think, is poised to tear up the Premier League. Um, I mean, first of all, just coolly dispatching a penalty, as we discussed earlier, the fact that he's confident enough that he he doesn't let any little misses or, or a community shield uh a community shield sitter that he put over the bar he doesn't let that get to him he knows his worth and he is a top top deadly striker so great penalty and then I was sitting there watching the game with my dad and and he 
he turned to me and said, as soon as West Ham uh, started attacking, he turned and said, you know, this is going to be really where Holland is dangerous because now they're giving him space to run in behind. And within the next minute, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, we know his quality, had the ball and just threaded an absolute beauty of a pass through. There was zero doubt in my mind. Holland with an absolutely inch perfect finish. Um, I mean, it was it was like you were playing a game of FIFA or something. It, it was so easily scripted and so so easy to see it coming. He's just pure class. So yeah, I don't know what can I say. I wanted him so badly at Chelsea because I just. I just see him going on to keep developing and developing and developing. I don't know. I think he is the next big thing, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I can hope he's not at least in the time he's in the prem, but I don't want to bet against that man. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to bet against that man. And he's definitely backing himself. Jackie was the interview at the end. I mean, the confidence, yeah, he was, he's, the confidence is he's, just... he's an absolute funny character as well. He doesn't care about what's going on. He just wants to play football, score goals. And, Guys, I must say, other than Holland, I don't think Manchester City got out of second gear, honestly. And West Ham are not your promotional team. West Ham are not your, we're here to survive. West Ham are a strong team that are competing for top six in the Premier League. And Manchester City barely got out of second gear. Some of the guys were nonchalantly passing it around. Holland comes off, does his funny interview, confident and says, I should have scored that one. It's like, it's a 180 from what we saw. I hate to do this to Timo, but from what we saw from Timo where his head went down and Holland could not care less. He swore on live TV, could not care less again. And so absolutely terrified of Holland. I think that's the first time I'll say that for any player in a long, long time in the Premier League. And so um, excited the league has him, to be honest, guys, outside of being a Chelsea fan, just to watch how he operates and him and Kevin De Bruyne, if they're on the same wavelength like that all season long, it's going to be a long season. But for City, an easy one. Yeah, definitely an easy one. And maybe the missing piece that gets them the, the Champions League, we shall see. But final game here, and it's one that I've saved because it's wasn't a surprise for me, at least. And I'll, I'll ask you guys for a surprise for you. Brighton go away to Manchester United, win 2-1. Greeley was 2-0 for a long time until they scored an own goal. Alex... We've spoken about Manchester United a lot, and you mentioned them. They, they, Sir Alex Ferguson left almost ten years ago. At this point, since then they have they've had David Moyes, Jose Mourinho, Louis Van Gaal, Solskjaer, Ragnick, and now Ten Hag, which is the sixth manager, and Carrick in between. So I guess seven. Where are they going? There's the whole Ronaldo saga. There's not enough players have come in. They're in for Frankie De Jong, and we know the issues there. Two one. Were you even surprised to to see that result? And does it even surprise you anymore when Manchester United drop points or lose at home? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think their standards have undeniably dropped. And the fact that their fan base is quite upset in, in general, I think, tells you that. I mean, they know this isn't the Manchester United of old that they were used to uh, in the Alex Ferguson era. But ultimately, I'm I'm not at all surprised. We've seen Brighton for the past couple of years really show up and, and be giant killers on, on several occasions, they seem to have a habit of making things really difficult against top teams. So no, I mean, that's a result that 10 years ago, maybe you would have looked and, and said, Oh my God, what the heck happened now? That's just another day in the premier league. So I think United have a lot of work to do, but I think that sort of benefits 
Chelsea, I personally, I don't know, you said you weren't too keen on him coming. I would love to have Frankie de Jong at Chelsea. I think he would be an absolutely great addition to our midfield and someone who maybe could learn from an aging Conte Jorginho pair and continue to develop because he is classy on the ball. He's got a great, great pass on him. He's good box to box. He can defend. Um, And all I'm saying is if I were a player looking at Manchester United and Chelsea right now, it would be very clear that I don't want to be a red devil with how things are going over there. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully we can almost turn that to our advantage in the transfer market, perhaps. But, you know, tough luck, Manchester United fans. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we look, I enjoyed it, right? I was able to banter my friend uh, about United, who at this point is just, it takes the hits all the time. He has no comeback. Uh, Jackie, we we grew up watching a peak Manchester United. Sir Alex Ferguson was turning average players into world-class players or even getting just that out of them for a game here we look at average players falling even below average and just not performing I mean Alex has said it pretty well their standards have dropped I think it's tough for the fans to accept it the the club just needs a a overhaul and, and they haven't done it this summer Ten Hag may be questioning why he took this job but it's It's one game. We don't know what happens for the rest of the season, but what do you make of this whole situation and where do you think they end up this season? Look, absolutely. It's just one game. And so we need to give the manager time and see what he's going to do. There may be players he may need to shift around. He may need to adjust his formation. We've said that before, but I'm not an expert football pundit, but here's something I've noticed since Ferguson's gone is Manchester United bring in a manager, back that manager, Pretty heavily in the market, I must say. I think for each of the managers they brought in, they let them bring their style of players. But when things don't work, they fire said manager. And the next manager comes in, has to deal with that group. He buys his set of players. He gets fired. He buys his sets of players. So over the years, they've done the Chelsea method, which is get rid of managers. And now you're stuck with a hodgepodge of players that don't necessarily fit every new manager coming in. What Chelsea did well, as much as it pains me to say, is they went out and bought high-quality players, and sometimes it wasn't necessarily the manager's first choice. It was what Chelsea were looking at on the market. Compared to what they're doing now with Tuchel, back then we'd go out and pick out players, and we picked up Christian Pulisic, and I remember Sari saying, "Why did we? who is he? Why did we pick him? They had a plan of, if the manager doesn't stay, we are going out to get talented players, and a good manager will make them work. United have backed managers for the last 10 years, but then fire them every two or three seasons. Something has to change. So either they're going to go with a new model where your sporting director has some continuity and picks the players, at least suggest the majority of the players that's coming in and picks a manager that will mold them. Or they're going to stick with Ten Hag and back him for the next five or six seasons, similar to what they're doing with Arteta, allowing that said manager to put their stamp on. So that's my two cents. I think it's just a hodgepodge of players that have come, that manager A like, manager B like, and now as some have dispersed, some have stayed, you've got to make the puzzle work. You've got to make it work, and that is right. And I think, again, points towards Chelsea. And yes, we fire and hire managers, but it doesn't work for everyone. It's worked mm-hmm. for us. We won trophies, but it doesn't work for everyone. And and that's the lesson here is you may have to continue with the manager for a longer term while suffering in the shorter term. Uh, but guys, before we move on to the Spurs preview real quick, I have some questions from our fans. Since Werner is leaving, we haven't even spoken about that really. Timo Werner is back off, back to Leipzig. 
the question here is, since Werner is leaving, who should Chelsea buy to replace him? Alex, I'll start with you. Just a quick name. Uh, maybe Ronaldo and maybe Aubameyang or maybe someone that we've not spoken of or thought of. I really do not want Aubameyang. That's all I'll say. I mean, he's fine, but I he's just not what we need. We don't need an old striker who's not quite at the top of his game anymore. You know, I just, no, no, no for me. Ronaldo, I would take, but I don't think that's going to happen realistically. I would personally pay for Ronaldo's transfer fee in the number of <laughs> kits I bought with his name on it from the Chelsea Megastore. But ultimately, I'm not sure we're going to get a, a top quality striker um, in this window. And you know what? In a weird way, I'm almost okay with that because I think uh, Armando Broya is a really good option. And even if he's maybe not the full finished product yet, we brought in Lukaku, who we thought was the finished product, and that didn't work. So maybe it's time to just say, hey, we'll work with what we've got and we'll make it happen. Fair. Jackie, another player from Barcelona that could be on the move is Memphis Depay. Is that one that you may want to see come in and replace Werner? You know, this this notion of needing to replace Werner is an interesting one, right? Because we've got a lot of players to fill three positions, and you've got Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, you've got Raheem Sterling, who's come in now. And Mason, uh, Ma- I'm sorry, Memphis Defy is a good player, but he's he's in a similar mold of this attacking winger and not necessarily somebody who's going to come back in 20, 25 goals a season. So I have to echo what Alex is saying. I think at that point, rather than just picking up players because they're available, why not give Broha that chance and then revisit in January and see what other players are doing? Maybe you'll find a, a new striker, a young striker that's, got 11, 12 goals already. Said, hmm, that's somebody that we might have our eye on. I mean, there's so many more guys that we're playing a false nine with and we're going to go pick up another guy to play a false nine with. It's it's not working. Give Broha a chance and let's see what happens. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it honestly, it's just a market, right? There's not that many top-level strikers available. And if they are, they already moved and are waiting to be registered in Barcelona's case. Uh, I have a couple of questions about Frankie de Jong and Alex actually shared his thoughts on the possibility of signing him, uh, which was the question here. But Jackie, for you, Frankie de Jong, 60, 70, 80 million along with Fofana. I think that's where my concern is. If we get Fofana for 80 and Frankie de Jong for 80, yes, we're not putting up the money up front, but that's a lot of money to invest into two players. It is indeed, but for me, I would say then we need to cool off the next market and understand that we've bought players, Cucurella, Frankie de Jong, if he comes, Fofana, who are 25 and below. And not to mention, you've got Mason Mount, who's 23, Kai Havertz, who's 21. You really have formed a spine of youth here that can go on for five or six years, Pulisic 23 as well. So you don't have to go and splash the cash again on, on massive players. The thing is, Will it work? Will it make sense as to what we need? For for the longest time, we were chasing Declan Rice to fill the midfield role. Frankie De Jong is a different profile. I think he's a great profile to replace maybe that box-to-box Kante. But there's not really a central defensive midfielder style that we've been looking for for a long time. It's an interesting debate, but 60, 70 million kind of might be a steal for Frankie De Jong in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would be in a long-term replacement for Jorginho, in my opinion. Um one more question. What should our consistent front three going into the season be? Alex, I think you mentioned maybe Sterling, Pulisic, 
that leaves us with the third spot open. And I'll tie this into a question about Kai Havertz. Is it unfair to say that Kai has really done nothing off late to warrant a guaranteed start? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's unfair, to be honest. I still like him. I think he's talented and he's shown flashes. My issue is that, unfortunately, he hasn't. I'm not even sure he knows exactly what his best position is at the moment. He's good, and I know he will be good in some systems, and he has been good at times for us, but we need to find that because right now I don't think it's harsh to say he he is in no way a lock starter for us. I mean, he was just not really doing anything against Everton and the runs he made, it was almost like Timo Werner's runs, but slower because he's not Timo Werner and dead ends. And it just didn't seem like his decision-making wasn't quite there. I'm just not quite feeling it from him. And that's okay because he is still young. I know it's a defining season for him. I know we always want our players to be performing, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's not the worst thing for a player to have a little spell on the bench, train hard, try to focus on what they need to improve, come back at it with a fresh, hungry mindset. I think that might benefit him. And I think maybe this is a time you turn to Broya, you turn to Polisic, you turn to Sterling, um, you turn to Ziyech, and, and you say, hey, look, let's let's work with what we've got here and see if we can get Kai Havertz's confidence up again, get him back firing in training or something. But I don't think that's too harsh. I think he just has not been fantastic for us lately. Yeah, I agree. So your front three would be Sterling, Pulisic, and Broya maybe for the next few games? Drop them out as well? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's that's the issue you have when we when we lose, I guess, in Lukaku and Timo, two strikers, so to speak, of different styles. Um, but I think that's a fine one to start with because, let's be real, people could say, oh, well, Broya's not ready. Maybe he won't score every game. Well, our current players aren't certainly aren't scoring every game. Lukaku far from scored every game. Havertz comes nowhere close. I think it's a time you say, let's try something a little different. Yeah, I agree with you. Jackie, you're consistent front three, or at least the three that you'd want to see for the next few games. Honestly, it's very tough. And I think Tuchel's getting into his second full season with us. I think yep. it's a season and a half that's finished. Maybe the three at the back isn't working for the type of players we have anymore. Maybe he needs to look at a different type of formation to incorporate them to their best positions. We've, for the longest time, understood that Kai Havertz is young and figuring it out, but he's never been a number nine or or false nine in his career. Neither has Mason Mount been a right winger. And so we're playing these talented boys really out of position. And so you've got to wonder... 21 years old, 23 years old, if you want this, with with your, by the way, with your center backs being 38 and 31, maybe change the formation and mold these guys for the future. But again, Thomas Tuchel knows best. I think he'll figure it out over time. But if you had to press me, I think give Broya a chance. Sterling looked amazing on the left. And based on what I saw from Christian Pulisic, he could play on the right. It's going to be tough, but we still haven't seen Hakim Ziyech. We still haven't seen Callum Hudson-Odoi. It's a lot of players to go through. Yeah, it seems like Hudson Adoy may be one on the way out. Yeah. yeah, on the way out too. And Ziek is an, an interesting one because I know he was linked with the move away, but he's still here. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes. But let's move on to the Spurs uh, preview. Thank you for those questions, guys. And we'll continue to do this on our uh, weekly review of the uh, weekend games. But let's move on to the Spurs game. Jackie, you mentioned maybe going to a back four. Uh, for Tuchel and, and the system and the players. 
the last three times we've played Spurs and the last three times we've beaten Spurs last season was with the back four. So the question is, do you switch it up? You know what they can offer with their attack. Is a back four based on what Alex saw in Orlando against Arsenal really a way to go against Spurs in this game? Or do you say tried and tested back three? That's what Spurs are going to come with. Let's match them player for player and hope we edge it. I guess the good news is we have five subs, guys. So if we need to change things based on how the games kick off, we absolutely can. I would stick with the three. I don't think they've done enough work on the four at the back. With the four in the back, I think it really relies on having a central defensive midfielder to help with that cover, and that's where we lack. So stick with the three at the back and figure it out. But I want to talk about Tottenham Hotspur signings. I'm not going to talk about all of them, guys, but just want to look at some of the key players they got in. Clement Longley as a center back from Barcelona. Richarlison to add to the firepower for for them, and they already had amazing firepower. Even Perisic, I think, is an interesting one because Conte loves wingbacks, and so he's got him in free. This is an interesting one for me, and that's Yves Basuma. I think with all of the things that were going on with us looking for a central defensive midfielder, I was surprised we didn't keep an eye on this. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But uh, overall, I think very good business. And of course, Kuliskevsky continues his loan from Juventus. So they've done a good job to strengthen the right areas as well. Yeah, they, they definitely have. And that's what Conte was asking for all of last season. So uh, the 4-1 win definitely is the short and shot in the arm they needed to start the season. Alex, would you go with the back four or are you sticking to a three? And if that's the case, who are your three? Of course, knowing Mendy would play in goal. Because we know Spurs have pace. We know they'll look to exploit us with the pace, especially with the older defense that we have. Do you throw in a Chaloba in this game? Or do you say, I go with Koulibaly, Silva, and maybe Kukurella as the left center back with Chilwell as a wing back? Yeah, I think definitely if Koulibaly and Silva are both feeling all rested and up for it, I think you've got to put them on just because they're so experienced, so good. They're really who you need when you're going up against a really dangerous attack. So I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I I still think a well-organized back four could do well, but I agree we're, we're lacking in that midfield defensive cover department. So realistically, I think a back three is probably the most likely. And there, I, I, I struggle to, I struggle to choose who I would want because I feel like we're always going to be maybe short one player we'd really like. Maybe this is where as much as I I would love to pretend I never wanted him in the first place, uh, Jules Koundé would be very nice to have. Speedy can play as a right center back, et cetera, and that would free Reese James up because this is almost a partnership where you'd say – or a matchup where you'd say it wouldn't be bad having Reese James as a right center back just because mm-hmm. he's fast and mobile. Um, but – I don't know, maybe we start out with the same back line that we did last time, including the wingbacks, but with Cucurella instead of Chilwell, I'd love to see Cucurella get a start, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm too worried to, to try to make a prediction. I just want us to win. Okay. I mean, look, we, we always want to win against Spurs, right? And after beating them four times last season, in all four games, it almost feels like now they're due one to win and it just so happens it's at the bridge where they've only won once in like 30 something years which was when Conte was our manager so it's all like coming together Uh, Jackie what do you think about the back three I guess five in this case with the two wing backs 
Yeah, I've given us a lot of thought, and I think I agree with Alex on some side. So I, I would stick with Kudabali and, and Thiago Silva. I think they were both phenomenal in the first game. And I would actually slot in Reese James into right center back. I know that's not necessarily his preferred position, but he adds that pace and he adds that physicality as well. And I would actually try and give Ruben Lofts' cheek a run at right wing back. I think he's done very good, but he also adds that physicality and energy to get up and down that corner. And Cucurella on the left, I think that's going to be important as well to match their wing backs. Ben Chilwell, again, big fan of Ben Chilwell. I really like him, but I think Cucurella had so much energy in that last few minutes there that he could cause a disruption that, that they are not expecting. Yeah, and, and his and his home debut, I'm sure he'll yeah. wanna wanna impress. Let's go to the middle too, then. We we saw Jorginho and Conte play uh, against Everton. Kovacic hasn't played yet. Is that one that comes in? Maybe not fit enough yet. So then we go with the two in Jorginho and Conte, which would be against Hoiberg and most likely Bentercore. I think that might be a battle that we would want to win so that we can control most of the game. But what do you think, Jackie? I, I love Kovacic. I think he brings so much more to that midfield than Jorginho. And I'm not trying to hate on Jorginho, but Conte alone is, is world-class. We saw that in preseason when he came back and made 100% change. Add Kovacic to the mix. You've got dribbling. You've got ball possession. You've got pace dare I say and we need that I'd go with those two and Jorginho on the bench Alex maybe a shout for Connor Gallagher's energy in this game especially to disrupt Spurs a little bit yeah I definitely think he should see minutes but I agree with Jackie in terms of the starters I think Kovacic and Conte if they're both fully ready would be a really really strong midfield matchup um, especially if we play that three at the back and they've got wing backs that can support and play in and around them. Um, I do think Gallagher is good. I think he could be a nice little X factor off the bench, but I'd save him as a sub personally. Okay. And then the front three, we said Sterling, Broya and Pulisic, right? Because that's what we've, we've been saying all episode long, but do you think he drops Mason Mount? Mason Mount is one that brings you energy, brings you the ability to go back and forward in terms of connecting the midfield and attack. Do you see him dropping Mason Mount, Alex? I I don't see him dropping Mount just because we know what he's done. Yep. We know what he brings to both sides of the pitch. I think it's tough. I think ultimately I would like to see him dropped, not even because he's been bad, just because I'd love to see us rotate a little more and try to get some of these players a little more comfortable together. Um, but this probably isn't the game to drop him because we know he's got a goal in him. He's got a pass in him. He's works hard. Um, I think if we see a good Mason Mount, if we see what we know he can do on his good days, he's a very, very valuable addition. So probably realistically him and Sterling. Um, but I don't know about that striker. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's, it's just like a guess up in the air, Jackie, would you Ziek? does pretty well against Spurs. And I'm saying that based on, based on the last two games. Do you bring him in? He brings that ability to do something out of nothing. He has the long shot on him. May have Spurs a little more concerned by his ability to cut in and, and rip it. I mean, if you're asking me, I think we need a change. But if you're asking me what Thomas Tuchel will do, guys, I don't think Kai Havertz will be dropped either. I think he's going to go with the same front line. Wow. But, but personally, I, I think that's a good shout to have someone like a Hakim Ziyech coming in. I don't know if I would start him. I think I would want to go with the pace with Christian Pulisic, maybe get Tottenham thinking. Because Hakim Ziyech, while has that key pass or that inverted leg to come in and do something different, lacks a little bit of pace. So I would do Christian Pulisic, 
get them running, running, running. And then in the second half, if you need to unlock a defense, maybe Hakim Ziyech comes in on the right. Okay, that's fair. So now that we've picked our 11, what is the score going to be? Is it going to be a Chelsea win? Maybe Spurs win it or a draw early season? We've seen that happen quite a bit between two big teams. They both settle for a draw and say, let's move on to the next game. Jackie, I'll stick with you. What's your score prediction? Was not impressed with Everton, but I'm going to be optimistic. I think that with Tuchel doing his sleeping hands, maybe he's trying to get them to wake up. I'm going to go for a 2-1 to Chelsea. 2-1. Okay. Alex, you think maybe a signing comes in and, and gets the squad all hyped up and ready to go? Or is this game big enough that we don't need uh, any more hyping? I think we we tend to have a good habit of of showing up against Spurs. Um, London derbies are always pretty intense, especially home, against... Home opener, too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm I'm optimistic. I think we're going to put on a good show. I think the players are going to want to impress. I think there's going to be energy in the crowd. Um, and yeah, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I'm I'm agreeing with the two one win. I think we have what it takes. We have the players, and hopefully, we have the mindset. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And I, I I think you can almost predict how Spurs are going to play. They're going to sit deep. They're going to sit tight. Use the space of Son and Kulusevski have Kane drop to disrupt our defense in midfield and look for that goal. I think if they score first, that is going to make it edgy because we're not in the best mind frame, right? And so I think that'll make it edgy, but I also think a 2-1. But in the interest of keeping it, things I'll go 3-2. An exciting game, but we win it. And maybe Alonso is still there and he shows up because he always does against Spurs. Uh, and that could be his parting gift to us. But uh, that's my prediction. Some of the other games real quick, Villa, Everton, Gerard Lampard. Uh, Lampard comes up on top, Jackie. Yeah, I'm a Lampard man always. All right. Uh, Alex, I see you nodding as well, so I'll move on. Arsenal-Leicester, uh, maybe a sticky fixture for Arsenal here, or Leicester just haven't signed anyone, players want to move on. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I think probably Arsenal are going to take that one with with what we've seen from them, but who knows? Hopefully, Leicester can do something, but I'm not going to hold out hope there. <laughs> All right. Man City, Bournemouth, Holland, Hattrick incoming, guys. Alex? Well, I mean, if, yeah, if Bournemouth are lucky, only a hat-trick. <laughs> I, I think I think he'll have another good game. And I'm, I'm excited to see if, if City really come out flying or if, uh, I don't know, they ease off the gas. It'll be interesting because they could set the bar really, really high from the beginning and put pressure on all the other teams. Yeah, and, and they certainly have started off that way. So uh, I expect them to build up on that. Jackie, Manchester United go away to Brentford. Tough fixture. Brentford are tough to play at home and they'll be ready to go. So do you see Ten Hag getting his first win or is it more drop points? I think it's drop points. Whether they're going to lose or draw, I cannot tell you that just yet. It also does depend on the Cristiano Ronaldo factor, if they're going to bring him back into the squad, if he's not fit. I think he makes a difference to Alex points, uh, no matter what happens and whatever turmoil is going on. So if he plays, maybe it's a draw. If he doesn't play, maybe it's a loss. We'll end up seeing. We will. And finally, Alex, Liverpool, Crystal Palace, final game of the weekend on a Monday night. Liverpool at home, already dropped points. You almost expect them to win this game. Yeah, I think they have to really come away with it. I'd be very surprised if they don't. But, I mean, there are no easy games in the Prem, especially we know Crystal Palace can come out and show up on their day. So, again, prayers out to Palace, but I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath there. I think Liverpool should and will win that one. 
I agree with you. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And if you like what you listen to, please leave us a review so that we can reach out to other fans uh, and continue to grow. But as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.